You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah. You're with Reality Check Radio. I am Marie and my guest this morning is Di Landy, who is the co-founder of Manawahini Kōrero. Good morning, Di. Kia ora. Welcome to Counterculture. Oh, tenakwe, Mari. Thank you for having me. I got sent an article that you wrote, which we're going to dive into in a minute. Explain to our listeners, what is Manawahini Kōrero? We had watched the gender woo-woo come through. And as far as we know, we are the only Indigenous women's gender critical group globally. We haven't found another one and we're more than happy to be corrected on this. And so just watch, watching all these changes come through, it was just, oh, hold on. And so, and as you know, all the elites have sold us out. Um, so we formed, the Māori Party said to us, get a group together of like-minded people, get your documents together and we'll have a meeting. So that that was sort of the beginning of Manawahine Korero. And so we did everything. And ever since then, we've been blacklisted and um, ignored. Oh, lovely. Now, you said the Māori Party had said that to you. Are the Māori Party one of those people that are blacklisted or are they still working with you? Oh, no, they've never worked with us. Oh, they've, they've never, never worked had with a, you? Never worked with us. They've never responded. Like, we've had no response to this Wee Hongi article. There's um, our midwifery response. We sent it to 160 of the sitting MPs, and all we got was auto responses back. Mm. So in, in Manawahine Kōrero, we're blacklisted, we're ignored, and so we just carry on doing what we do. Right. So let's dive into that article. You awesome. sent me also your submission as well. These are so powerful and it disgusts me that no one yes. has gotten back to you. I just cannot believe it. So what we're referring to is an article in Quillette, which is an online magazine, which many of our listeners will be familiar with. Uh, this only dropped on the 4th of May, so it's very current, written by you. And the title is Fictionalising Māori History in the Name of Gender Ideology. Around the world, trans activists are cynically attempting to drape their fetish colonial theories in the garb of timelessness, indigenous wisdom. I really do recommend that people dig this article out. I was fascinated by this. I didn't realise how much work had gone on by those who are, are proponents of gender ideology within the Māori space. So how long has that been going on for, Di? Oh, 217, somewhere around there. Okay, so it's been a a lot of the words that I think it's gender minorities inside out or whichever one it is, you know, they're just all the, the rainbow thugs to me. Um, and, and all the words that they refer to have, have all been invented since 2019 by their own admission. And right. um, it's, it's quite, you know, I, I've been watching this spread across globally and you can see how it attaches to Indigenous people with an oral culture. Now, this is very important. Where it's coming undone, in my belief, for Māori culture, is that not only is it oral, but we have carvings, motete, haka, waiata. So we have all these other forms of recording our culture. And if we um, do a comparison to, say, like the Aborigines in Australia, they don't have the carvings and all. So it's a lot easier to attach when it's only oral. 
because then we can just come in and say what we want. And, you know, the the great um, revisionist. In the article, you referenced person Ahiwihongi. Ahiwihongi says here, historically, Māori culture is in- included more genders than just male and female. That's going back a long, long way. Pre-colonisation in Aotearoa, the human rights situation and gender equality was much more advanced than it was at the UK at the time. I grew up on the East Coast. I've never remembered anybody talking about any any gender no. woo going on. Is this a, re, a rewriting of Māori history it, or are they? It yes? most definitely is. And this is the most important part for me is that the state are rewriting it, not the people. See, when people language does evolve, that's just the nature of language. Very important that people understand the difference between the state changing it to the natural evolution of it. There's very important linguistic reasons for this. For example, we have an accent, we have the regional dialects, um, we have the in-house jokes, the unsaid meanings, we have the imprinting of the cadence of the language, stress on the syllables, how your mouth moves for pronunciation and the changes to the sentence structure. But when the, and it's natural, but when the state comes in, that just changes and removes the depth of the meaning. And within one generation, we will lose this history that goes with the depth and it won't be coming back. And because this is actually a living language, I mean, that depth and that history, that really has been passed down from generation to generation to generation generation. on marae. So how on earth can the state think that they could turn you all into cookie-cutter marae and standardise this? Yes, going for this homogeny. And and a lot of it, to me anyway, is it's like um, they infantilise the language into poetry, and that's where this transliteration falls down. So I'll just talk about an interview I did when I was working with the homeless, for example. Now, this was 10 to 15 years ago, and I was interviewed on the radio. And they said, oh, is, um, you know, are Māori people homeless because of whakamā? And I said to Doreen, it was, I said, well, Doreen, it depends on your descriptor of whakamā. Now, as a um, tauiwi, I understand you'd think it to mean shy. That's the general consensus of whakama, oh, they're shy, but it's not. Whakama is I'm shamed, I'm ashamed, I'm uncertain, I'm unsure, I'm not fitting. And every feeling that comes with those words is whakama. So that is the depth as opposed to shy. And so it's only going to take a generation for all this to be lost. And the elites are collaborating, and this is happening at the highest level. Like, for example, the Midwifery Council, they did a two-year consultation. There were six highly educated Māori, one of whom was a man, and there were 11 tau iwi. And there's a connection to Jamie Veal, who was an Englishman, who says he's a woman. He's also the secretary of WPATH and the president of PATHA in New Zealand. At the same time, they were consulting on the, because he was on the broader consultation, mm-hmm. along with Dr. George Parker and Kitty Kitty and all those other skullduggery mongrels. At the same time, he was collaborating on the Māori midwifery. He is in PATHA pushing eunuch to be a sexual identity. So what on earth is he doing on a 
consultation council around women's health for midwifery, I wouldn't even think that he was appropriate to be there. He's an Englishman who says he's a woman. Right, so that's his qualification, illusions of grandeur. It, it must be, but I'm, you know, it's quite distressing to see all the connections with Pasa, um, Elizabeth Kitty Kitty, and just these names just keep coming up time and time again where this is happening. It's the same group of people, and and I put it to whoever wants to listen to me: doing your consultation with yourselves isn't consultation. There are 103 recognised iwi in New Zealand. How many of these got to the table? Yeah, yeah. It's actually not consultation. What that is is consultation laundering, isn't it? It's like money laundering. Yes. If you yes, if you put is. it in a, a cycle within itself, within its own echo chamber, eventually it's going to pop out and sound really good and squeaky clean, but it's never been out to the big wide world, has it? No, I mean, kahu porkai for our midwives. Something about membranes of the eggs. You know, we were really distressed about the midwives as... You know, they've taken our naming rights. So this whole movement is removing words in English and then transliterating them in Māori as if they're real. Hmm. You know, this... Um, so let's sort of back up. So you and I have dived sorry. into this. No, not at all. This is one of those cultural stories that has been buried, that everyday New Zealanders are not hearing because... What is being portrayed in legacy media is this beautiful, unified cookie katamari and everybody is happy and we're making this wonderful progress and this is what we're doing. When in fact, as you said, you know, 103 different iwi, there are different uh, subtleties in language and culture and protocol and all of those are passed down intergenerationally from family to family. But I just want to dive a little bit more into this article because I think this article is so important important and it was written beautifully for the Quillette audience which then means that if you don't have an understanding even of Te Ao Māori you could go and read this and go oh I had no idea this was going on so it's a really good gateway piece for yes. people so thank you oh, no it really is fantastic talk a little bit more about the importance of that oral history, but also how all those other elements you mentioned before, like carving, stories, legends, tukutuku, all of those different things, actually, even though the histories are oral, in, in the case of Māori, they're not really. There is actually a recorded history yes. there. Explain for our listeners a little bit more around that for the foundation of how that is now being manipulated. They're being ignored, like you will find no meeting house to the great trans warrior. It doesn't exist. There are no haka. There are no carvings. There is no tukutuku panels. Like we have a very rich, full history. And people seem to think, because I, I view it, you know, as Māori, we were so accepting, right? We were accepting of each other. Homosexuality exists and it always has even the tonga we hungi refers to is of a homosexual couple they come in like how the trans has attached itself to the anti-bullying in schools it attaches to indigenous cultures to give the facade of antiquity and authenticity and it does this by a handful of elites nodding along even elizabeth Kerry Kerry's theses on page 82 she clearly states there is no evidence of this in our culture. 
and yet out of that 250 pages, you know, you might have to delete this bit out, Mari, but it just read to me like me and my mates on holiday and who'd we root, you know. It was hardly academic quality to me, having been through institutions, you know, the Pākehā institution to get tohu. So these elites are doing a lot of damage. They are turning our language into a transliteration. Old people don't even know what they're saying. I know of heaps of Māori that have dropped out of learning it because of the changes. They says, I can't get with this. I've been doing it for two years and it's changed again. We've just had these education submissions and about attaching and force framing. Okay, so in the morning, they had a panel for the Māori Battalion scholarships. So I want to know why in the afternoon in the education bill, the wānanga was put in with gender ID. Why wasn't the wānanga part put in with the Māori Battalion part and heard on this place, not over here? It was the same panel, but a different act. Do you feel like that Māoridom has been used as a pawn in a much wider game? Absolutely, yes. It surely is indeed. It's all, it's so fashionable and all this naming of everything in Māori is ridiculous. We are not all home to it. We don't all agree with it. We haven't had a say in it. I mean, you know, New Zealand's biggest thing is tourism. Half of New Zealand doesn't speak Māori. I read uh, something like only 3 to 4% are fluent in te reo. And from what you're saying, that most of those gen- intergenerational te reo speakers, even they're struggling to keep up with the language. So then, I mean, I'm relatively literate in te reo. I'm not what I call a fluent speaker, but I know enough that if I go somewhere, I hear a conversation, I know what they're talking about roughly, I can't necessarily converse back, but I know more than the average Joe on the street. But even for me, the reframing, the renaming of government departments exclusively into te reo and te whatu ora would be one of my, it's one of my personal bugbears, yes. is exclusionary to everybody except for a very small minority of people. And the reason they're excluding those people is that they want to control them as if to say, well, you can only be consultative in this process if you understand, but they deliberately don't allow you to understand. No, absolutely. and. For me, with all this renaming like the Fatu Order, when, you know, oh, we're doing it for the treaty, tea treaty inclusion, what a load of kaka. You know, like that is an inclusion. At the moment, our government are running through queer, th- everything comes through queer theory, gender ideology, and the social justice. Mm. And it's, and Manawahini um, Korero went to a corrections meeting because they're locking men in women's prisons. And they have the identity. And I asked if it was about gender. And they went, no, it's about race. And I was, what? I don't identify as Māori. I am a Māori. Uh, our cobbled together cloak. You know, they want to wear our skin. People go, oh, yes, but that's inclusionary. And it is a protected language, you know. But let me tell you, it is. And it's protected for us, tangata whenua. It isn't protected for everyone else. We have the living memory of our parents being shamed. We have the living memory of the hidings. We have the memory of nanny on the floor being kicked. Not you, not Mm. the government, Māori. We have this memory. It's our living memory. It is not for everyone to own. Mm. And so when people go, oh, but, you know, it's protected. Yes, they protected it for us. We're being inclusionary. 
and it's uh, an official language. Well, I don't see you flapping your arms around using deaf and sign. Why yeah. is it only Māori? And then a lot of it for me is like race baiting because there's still this uneasy Hobson's pledge thing happening in New Zealand. And that's because people are stupid and listen to MSN. Mm. If people haven't clicked on in New Zealand that they need to start coming to the alternative news outlets, then all this race baiting will succeed. So let's cycle to that, because I think that that brings in the Posey Parker visit. So firstly, well done to you and your team to bring her here. Even though she didn't get to speak a word, the resonance of her visit has been massive. And, And as you said, the legacy media, I think that was the first time for a long time that I have seen ideological issues, the reality of ideological issues, in people's faces, as much as the media tried to gaslight New Zealanders saying, oh, no, it was mostly very peaceful and in the, the counter protest, I loved it, the counter protest, insinuating that the reason you were there was a protest to begin with. Walk us through that day. Tell us how it unfolded for, for the team, your team on the ground. Right. Well, firstly, I didn't attend Auckland. Okay, it was the most horrendous thing, you know, for months. We got told late January that Posey was coming. So a team of women cobbled themselves together and just, you know, pedal to the metal, so to speak. So a week prior to that, there were uh, over 158 legacy media articles all calling her anti-trans. And of the 158, I'm suggesting 100 of them also called her and us a Nazi. Now, we got interviewed on the 20th of March by Rachel Smalley on Today FM. That was our very first year, the only one who who bothered. That was completely ignored. This false framing of calling us Nazis is nothing but Holocaust denial, in, in my mind, because you're saying that this is as bad as that, but I don't see any bodies. I don't see any gas chambers. I have an issue with the term genocide that has been used, particularly yes. with the likes of Chanel Lal. Yes. And it is, for me, dangerous to use such type of language. It is very dangerous. It's very dangerous. And Māori, because, you know, a lot of Māori are sovereign, so they're just living in the sticks and don't know anything about this. This is coming out of academia into our marae. And you'll see through the... Um, mandates, our marae shut people out. I want to know why all these Māori people, bigwigs, all these Māori activists trust the government now. When did that happen? Because Mm. I missed that memo. And the fact they locked people in their hour of need out of our marae, they should be hanging their heads in shame. You're with Counterculture on Reality Check Radio. I am Marie and I am talking to Di Landy. Were there some marae that pushed back on this or not enough? Push back, not the ones I know of, you know, like even, you know, go to my local marae and no, you're not allowed in here. Weaving classes, participants weren't allowed to go because they weren't vaccinated. So no, I don't know of any marae. Mm. I remember sitting here sobbing, watching a Waitangi day and a whole lot of Māori could not go on their marae because of it. Yeah. No, you can't come on here. Hikama, what has happened to our people? Have they gotten so complacent and lazy? Is it just 
They're just too busy trying to feed their families and hold their land. But this is all wrong, the infantilizing of our language and taking away the meanings, you know, and that depth comes with the generational oral knowledge. That's all being lost via the elite. Māori are, what, 16% of our population? Yeah, thereabouts. And it's a well-known that Māori cultural disassociation is a precursor for loss of identity. Māori youth should be at the forefront of this language push because now I'm going to tell you what our suicide stat is for Māori youth and it's higher than our Māori population. The suicide stat for Māori youth is 17.6%. That's tragic. It is tragic. Yet they're doing all this other stuff. So how did we get to a place that for mental health we're going to chop bits of your body off as a preferred option? And treatment. It's interesting you bring that up. So an article uh, from Dr. Peter McCullough of Courageous Discourses, and it was mental health care burden of transgender youth before and after gender affirming treatment. So he's saying here the heavy psychiatric care costs are getting worse after hormones. And he cited a study, and this was published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine, a study that is done, a retrospective cohort study using military health care data from 2010 to 2018. So that is before the height of this craziness, because we know from 2018 on, it went really crazy. Identifying mental health care diagnoses, visits, psychotropic medication prescriptions among transgender youth who receive care for gender dysphoria before the age of 18. The summary on this is, is sadly, transgender adolescents are more likely to have mental health diagnoses more mental health care services, they use more psychotropic medications compared to normal siblings. Diagnoses included adjustment, anxiety, mood, personality, and psychotic disorders, and suicidal and attempted suicide ideations. And these are all in youth under 18 years. And this study is from the period of 2010 to 2018. I hate to think what it's like now. Right now. What it's like now is just, apart from being OTT, like the counting ourselves, the questions are very loaded, they're very closed. This is how bad our legacy media is. One week they'll put out they're the most depressed and, and they all want to kill themselves. And then the next week, within or within days, another article coming out saying that, you know, nearly 70% of New Zealanders have felt this same feeling. I I don't know what's happened to people's critical thinking skills. Porn is a big driver. The internet's a big driver. But this disconnection, you know, I'm back to the disconnection for our youth. You know, why are they not offered te reo first and foremost instead of it going out? When Manawahine Kurero submitted on the um, SIFs, oh yeah, or Oranga Tamari, or whatever they call themselves, I, I just call them the child catchers myself. They were calling for 10% of people on the board to have mouldy knowledge. And we were, oh, no, 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 no. They must fuck a papa mouldy. It isn't enough that you can go to the university to, for eight weeks, learn your mihi, learn how to say hello, learn how to say goodbye, and then that passes for mouldy knowledge. That is nowhere enough. I'm not fluent either. And and what's also happening with this language is the us and them. Oh, you're not fluent. As if you're less than. That's a real shit thing to put on an already oppressed person. Mm. 
I want to have a look at this disconnection element and I'm going to talk about politics and if let me know if you think I'm talking a whole bunch of kaka because I could be. One of the things that I remember, particularly through the 90s and the early 2000s, is John Tamahiri had a huge, die is rolling her eyes at me, uh, about... (laughs) about the disconnection of Māori youth, particularly urban Māori, and the Waipareta Trust was created to theoretically reconnect Māori youth back to their hapa, hapu, back to their culture. He talked about the importance of the sovereignty and the strength of Māori and, and the pride of Māori, and it was like, okay, well, that all yes. good things. Then all of a sudden, somewhere along the line, um, a couple of, le- of election cycles ago, the whole language and the messaging changed. And all of a sudden, Māori were victims. I remember thinking to myself, because at the time when I met John, he was a Labour MP. He was, and he was part of that wider caucus uh, with Dover Samuels and Tariana Turia was there, Peter Sharples were there. You know, they were part of this wider Māori caucus within governance in New Zealand. So they were really working quite hard to put all of these things in place. Then all of a sudden, yes, messaging changed. And now I almost feel like he's driving the disconnection. He's trying to drive that wedge that you're talking about within Māori. Are you seeing that or not? Yes, absolutely. They they are the drivers. You know, for example, corrections are locking men in women's prisons because they say they're women at a time where, oh, what's our stats? 68, 70% of incarcerated women are tangata whenua. Oh. We have just stopped, and I mean, and I mean, just stopped within the last six months, handcuffing women while they are giving birth. Yeah, um, that's that's appalling. You, you know, and it is the elites driving it, in my mind anyway, and personally, um, Tariana and Peter Sharples were the last great politicians mm. for Mouldydom. The rest are nothing but show ponies. Um, they're playing to the gallery. You know, I mean. It's performative of, Māori, um, isn't it? Performative uh, Yes, I, I've actually come off the Māori role. Wow. Is that to give yes. yourself more choice? Part of it, it's my personal, what do you call it, my personal protest against what they are aiding, abetting and facilitating because it's only going to take one generation for all this to be lost. Manawahini Kōrero very clearly stand, we will become extinct with this trans ideology attaching itself to us we will become extinct and it won't take long so until then we have to watch this watered down anglicized infantilized version of what we are Mm. you know and i find it very distressing and disturbing and when the old people when i say like for example kahu porkai is a new name for midwife and i say that i've said that to about three nannies it's actually been quite hard for me not to interject and lead them and to sit on my hands and then within like five seconds they're just laughing Mm. girl what's that and yeah that's the new midwives and they're calling everyone whānau so they're, they're taking the words for all these words are losing their, their meanings, their very deep cultural, spiritual meanings. And as a, like we saw it, I saw it in the um, Matatini, the Kapahaka, and all oh, we're breaking the boundaries. I want to know why these people are even considering how our two puna, how they had sex. Why are you even thinking that? That's yucky. 
Why are you thinking, using this revisionist, romanticised, oh, love, love, love? Yes, but I do not, do not for an instant think this existed in our people. We, if you look at our cosmology, even though we share some and there are some are different, we the threads running through them are incest, domestic violence. Mm. So we have some very heavy themes, but not tranniness. Like I always look for old books, and I had an old fable book, and they are savage. But you mm. get them now, and they're reading like a Disney channel. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like the sensitivity writers have gotten their hand, hands yes. on all those original myths and legends. And I mean, they were quite brutal. I mean, warriors were warriors for a reason. Yes, yes. And, you know, like I'm forever saying to people, what, you think that warrior thing only hit the men? Hmm. You know, because, yeah. you know, we've had some amazing Māori wahine leaders right back to suffragette days. And and so I'm, I'm in two minds, like with the suffragettes, Māori, because for a Māori woman to be part of the suffragette movement, she had to deny wearing her, her moko kawai. And so, like, we can be part of this if we do that. I don't see much difference these days to all this pouring water in the language and changing the meaning. And then people come and transliterate it. They give something a name you know, because they think that's what it means without deep, meaningful consultation. Oh, they go and Google the meaning. Yep, that's us. And that suffices for research and consultation. And then, you know, people are going, oh, no, we got gifted it. I mean, what's what, what do you mean you got gifted it? I don't get that. I get when old people, you know, our nannies and that, like I went to the naming of Kapiti School for Parihaka, I understand that because of where it is. Mm. You know, this is Atiawe area, this college, and got strong links and what have you to Taropraha. That I get, but all this other stuff, I mean, what do you mean you gifted it? Who are you? Mm. Well, I was just going to say Taropraha was, he was the one, was he the one that when he got chased, he hid in the, in the, in the, um, that's what the we menstru- wrote menstrual shed? Yeah, I remember yes. that from school. Yeah. Yes, and, and see how that's gone from the power of Te Awa Atua, the menstrual blood, because that's our ancestors, you know, from Te Whare Tangata, it's gone from the power of the menstrual blood was enough to shield him from the tohunga, the very powerful tohunga, to these days it's the shame of the man hiding under the skirt of a woman. The manipulation. Yes, and that's what's happening everywhere. And what's happening, like I say, I think the later, we're 16 to 17.1%. It depends who you read, how, how many Māori are in New Zealand. So that means 83% of the country that are non-Māori, the Iwi, have the power to change our language by what's happening. All these departments, I mean, for example, I know Tongari is closed now, but I'll, you go up there and all these signs and all these bushwalks and everything's in Māori. How are people meant to know what they're saying? Yeah, yeah. It's using the language to exclude people, to deliberately exclude people because they want to maintain control. I've often used the example when I've had this discussion with people and they say to me, but you should be all for this because you've got Māori heritage. And I was like, yes, but Māori is part of who I am. It's not all of who I am. It's just... I am, you know, and, and also too, yeah. I mean, I whakapapa back to Te Rawara as well as Ngāti Pro. So look, I mean, if you know Māori history, mm. there's a 
bit of conflict there. So, you know, not exactly those two wouldn't have been breaking bread back in the day. So I remember as a child when I'd go with my grandfather and he was very, very good friends with the chief of Ngāti Pro at the time, was one of his closest friends. And he was just such a wonderful man, but he used to say to me often, he said, oh, Marie, he said, you do so well since your blood is so conflicted. That's a living memory, Marie. That's a living memory mm-hmm. right there. Like um, we're at Natikahu, which is not far from Tararawa. In my family, my sister married from Te Apanui. Ah, right up at the top oh, of the coast. So it's the same between you, mm. that same conflict. Yes. So this is a living memory that all of this is going to be lost with this bastardization and the state control of our language because the state is controlling this push. They're wanting to enforce themselves as Nati government, aren't they? They're wanting to be... <laughs> yes, Nati government. <laughs> <laughs> a little thread that I just want to to go down and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I do a media piece after this interview and the man that I do it with, and he has spent a lot of time within the Māori community as well. One of the things that we often talk about with the election year this year, one of the things that him and I have been exploring is where does a conservative traditional Māori voter go? Because at the moment, as you said, there's not a lot of choice. So where do they go? Let's walk through firstly, Mecca's, she's gone and jumped Walker. I find it very disturbing. It's rules for thee, but not for me. Mm. So no wonder our country's a mess if the politicians aren't going to follow their own rule. With Mecca is that she's left the Hawke's Bay, that area, in a hell of a state. You yeah. know, there's, uh, there are still crews of workmen going up there, like, say, from Downer and these other companies. I think they did... Maybe four weeks, these big companies went up and assisted with all their machinery for nothing. Now now they're charging, and rightly so, it's a business. But then we get Red Cross sitting on the money. Mecca jumps Walker and rows her own way. Elizabeth Kitty for bloody bullying, but she's a list MP, but is going to stay an independent on, and is going to stay there till the election. This stuff's not allowed, but it's happening. Mm. Well, she, so she's someone who's interesting. I don't know a lot about her, but when I look into some of the policies and the things that she's into, uh, the, the activism runs deep in her, but it's steeped in all of this bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's her thesis was underwritten by the place in California, the same place as John Money went to. Oh, John Hopkins? Yeah, I think it might be Hopkins. It was a, California underwrote that, so that means they picked up the bill. And, you know, look, I... I I've been doing this um, gender stuff a while now, Marie, and for the life of me, I can't work out the payout. Is it money? Is it just money? Is it, what is it? Apart from kudos and ass pats, I don't know what it would be. Why are you so proud you're colonising your people? Why are you so proud that you agree that cutting the balls off our youth is a good idea? Because this eunuch is coming in, and this is where Jamie Beale comes back, back in, this pommy man. He's, you know, the eunuch is now, you know, being pushed as a sexual orientation. Anecdotally on the street, the mental health, almost 50% of new referrals are for this gender ID, and it's females. And then they get in. How are we going to connect our youth back to our culture when they're doing this to it? This is Counterculture with Marie on Reality Check Radio. I am talking to Di Landy from Manawahine Korero. 
one of the things that was laid bare, firstly after the COVID hmm. bullshit, now with all this gender ideology, it sort of was starting to get a bit of momentum and then COVID came along and it put the brakes on it a little bit. And then it was all COVID, 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 COVID. They were able to, and when I say they, I mean the government, were able to apply restrictions onto a population using fear. They've now got everybody nice and compliant. The COVID fear is dropping away, but the ideologues that were pushing that fear and rowing that walker are now like, right, let's pick up where we left off in 2019 and let's hit the trans again. And I've, I believe it's all about power. I really do. It's power, control and transhumanism. I disagree that they put the brakes on, though. That's when they did the push behind closed doors. Uh, so, so what do you know about that? Because I know you've done a little bit of work in that area. For example, the submissions through the BDMRR bill birth, deaths, marriages, BMD, double R bill, the um, birth certificate bill. That happened during lockdown. They refused to accept emails. No one could get to their library because we were in lockdown and they gave a very short space to submit in and only got brought back because after the first submissions, the evil government inserted clauses. And that is the only, this is my opinion, I mean, they did insert clauses, that is why it got brought back to the table. But during lockdown, so much happened under wraps. Like on June the 15th this year, any person can go and change their sex marker on their birth certificate and they've removed the marker to say a change has been made. So you can't even signal that the change has been made. Correct. And this is where fucker papa comes in. For me, because my mum left, she's from the top of the north, and we were brought up in Punaki, Wellington. You know, she is estranged from her whanau. So I've got to go and find my whanau. How will I do that when this happens? How will whanau find their father when he's now identifying as a woman? There's no marker. And let me tell you, to get that information about the market it's like they've locked it up like Fort Knox there's a huge process to find out a change has happened so it's legalizing a lie it is it's 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 taken a social nicety and turned it into a legal nightmare trannies I've known all my life if you listen to one of my submissions you hear me talk about Sandy when I, I think I'm seven or eight and our house was on fire and I was inside and Sandy come and got me out and he's a big hulking six foot something bloke. But we knew him as Sandy and we called him Sandy and what have you. I've known trans identifying men all my life until now. They never, ever said they were women. They never believed they'd changed sex till this push. And I know they're not down with it. The schism between the LGBs and yes. the TQIA++++ crew but most homosexuals gays and lesbians they are so not down with this no we're not we need the lgb without the t and as for we hongi saying that this is proof it isn't proof when you show a homosexual couple that is no way is that proof of trans ideology it's, it's not proof it's proof of homosexuality and like i said why are you talking about how our two puna had sex so yeah. let's take it back to community because, of course, it's now we're at this place now that this rubbish has got to stop. Part of the reason Reality Check Radio exists is to get voices like yours out to the, the wider public. 
it always comes back to, as you said, your stories. I mean, I'm from a very large extended family. My grandfather was one of 13. It's yes. um, And my other side of the family is also very large. It is important, I think, to have and regardless of whether you're Māori or Pākehā or in it, you need to know where you come from. And yes. I think there has been that disconnect. So for people who are hearing this and they're thinking this is absolute insanity, what are some of the resources that, that you think that they can go and have a look at or some of the things coming up on the horizon that they may need to be aware of? Well, we've got the UN at the moment. We're going to submit on it, of course, and about um, Indigenous peoples and this gender identity, you know, because this is coming from the most high, the UN and Rothblatt, like if Resist Gender Education New Zealand are awesome. They've got so much information. Speak Up for Women has a lot of information on their website. Um, well, there's us, of course, but we don't have a website because we're for Maori. Um, there's Lava, who have been around since the 70s. You know, New Zealand is very lucky. We've got some indefatigable women in the background for Jan Rivers, Mark Kuno. These women just type public good as Jan Rivers, and it was Jan Rivers that was quoted in the um, Herald because New Zealand is prescribing off-label these puberty blockers at 10 times the rate of the UK. Now, 10 times the rate of the UK, and the, the UK is all over this stuff. And through lockdown, they did perform these surgeries. Right, to date, now I've got two stats, either they've done 16 or they've done 22, sex reassignment surgeries. We're getting youth being prescribed these medications, believing that puberty is an illness and that they can opt out of it. So what we're doing is we're giving these youth a chemical lobotomy because puberty is the time where we, you know, I know at toddlerhood we do that, you know, attachment and detaching. But when we come to puberty is when our cognitions and all that critical thinking and that comes in. And these drugs are stopping it and you can never get it back. They are not reversible. I know that that in the What is a Woman documentary, one of the th points that they wanted to make, the obstetrician and gynaecologist that spoke there and her name just escapes me, but she, as she said, they claim you can turn this on and off with these, you know, these euphemisms, puberty blockers. I mean, from what I understand, Lupron was the drug that they use for chemical castration. And it's what they, they still gave. do. You can't sort of turn this stuff on and off. And it astounds me that they still allow this drug to be used off label. Whereas for, say, in endometriosis, it's a very short term for precocious puberty, it's short-term use. But suddenly, with this new trans medicine, which is a bit of an oxymoron, they're giving it long-term. And it's really, really sinister, Marie, because they're trying to get kids younger and younger. Mm. And if they get them before Tanner Stage 2, they will never have healthy sexual function, ever. They'll never have orgasms. They'll never have healthy sexual function. And, and I think that's a bit of a mean thing to take off people who don't have the choice. I spoke to Helen Houghton last week and she, she was talking about how early this is creeping into schools. As you said, these puberty blockers have to block prior to puberty. How on earth can you expect children to make such radical, life-changing decisions without often parental consent 
at yes. this stage in their lives. It just beggars belief. Children really cannot consent. Because I, I think about my people all the time, Marie, and it's just, oh, and, and I think about Nanny, okay? Nanny has her moko because the parents are in jail. The nanny's generation, they're used to, you know, know the Pākehā knows best, girl, we, we've got to do it. So nanny listens to the school. And transes that starts with the social transition, which social transition is changing their name and letting them dress in the opposite sex's gear and treating them like the opposite sex. Now, I don't know if New Zealanders know, but your child can go to school with Samantha, spend all day as Sam and come home and be Samantha again. And the parents do not have to be told. So I don't think people know this. And well, now they do if they're listening. So Nanny's done this to a two moko. They've been trans and they've been put on the puberty blockers. Mum and dad get out of jail. See, this has happened, right? So there is a fraction right there. What have you done? But I got told to. You go to the education, every department is saturated and captured. And so Nanny's done this. Then when Nanny wakes up and finds out it's not real, where is she going to take this? The guilt too. The guilt, it's dreadful. It really is dreadful. Because with Nanny doing that, she has severed her whakapapa. Mm. Those kids will not, they're, they're rendered sterile. Mm. Northland DHB, I know they're not DHBs, but anyways, Northland DHB is harvesting sperm of the people they're putting on puberty blockers. Northland DHB is sending out binders to young girls under the plastic surgery budget. Northland Trust gave the Rainbow Hub in Waikato $800,000. At the same time, they gave, was it 15 to Search and Rescue, 10 to Youthline. Now, Youthline and Search and Rescue, to me anyway, they're institutions in New Zealand. They're well-known, they're well-oiled in what they do. And But they got like 10 and 15. And then we just had a cyclone, all that, all the weather bombs and cyclone Gabriel. Not a pronoun was lost in that, you know. And, I wish that had gotten washed away. Hey, also, not only that, but there has not been one rainbow crew in the clean-up efforts. You're with Counterculture on Reality Check Radio. I am Marie and I'm talking to Di Landy. I'll speak about the Rule Foundation. Now, uh, Rule was a New Zealand gay pilot in our armed forces, in the Air Force. He's a homosexual. He ended up committing suicide, but he left the legacy and it was for homosexuals. That's been taken now by the Rainbows. The government gave it a million dollar endowment in 2019 and then another 800,000 in 2021. So we've got all this money for the rainbow, but Northland has kids eating out of rubbish bins, quite regular. Northland, well, everywhere's got a um, pee problem, but Northland in particular, like the East Coast, the poverty is grinding poverty. Mm. You know, once Māori get their land back and go on their land, they're not allowed to do anything with it. You can't raise loans, nothing. You, you can't do anything but live on it. You know, I'm talking grinding poverty. It's happening here, but they're giving all these hundreds of thousands of dollars to this rainbow. You know, like I say, we're from Punaki, and I was brought up in Porirua. I'm a Porirua girl. They've got a house in Porirua where youth can go. All our PI and Māori kids can go there and pretend to be trannies and everything's supplied. And why Tangarua?
they've probably got one in Otara as well. You know, our youth are looking. They're looking for belonging. They're looking for that uffy and everything. And, and youth, how are they going to resist the love bombing, the social likes, the acceptance? Because kids that go against it, and this was um, Kelly J. Keane who said this, are committing social suicide. Yeah. Oh, that is so true. I just I talked about this with Helen. You have dropped more truth bombs than a weather bomb during a cyclone <laughs> die. I am so thrilled that you were able to give us your time today. And I know that um, you're welcome you, back anytime. Thank you so much for all the hard work that you are doing. I think it is incredibly important. If you want to find Di's article, uh, so it's Di Landy, the article was in Quillette magazine. May 4th was when it was uh, dropped, so do look that up. Uh, that's Quillette, Q-U-I-L-L-E-T-E.com. Uh, thank you very much. I really do appreciate the time you've spent with us today on Reality Check Radio. Namahi Marie, thank you for having me. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reality Check Radio.